definitely developing a positive mindset is the second thing, which to me helped. It means teaching people how to own their confidence. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organization, well-being, energy, and resilience. I'm Joe Dodds, and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more. And by that, I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows, I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future, but rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Lodz and I am co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Tammy Matheny. Tammy was introduced to us by Chaz Jackson of show number 116. Tammy is the owner of Refuse to Lose Coaching, LLC, author, speaker and John Gordon trainer. As a mentor game coach, she assists people in all walks of life, not just athletes, with improved confidence, focus, motivation, mental toughness, leadership, teamwork, etc. Tammy has a passion for helping others build a foundation of confidence. She has seen firsthand how confidence is key to success in any area in life. Although a standout athlete and student at East Rutherford High School, NC, Tammy struggled with maintaining confidence. Confidence continued to elude her during her time at Lenore Ryan College, where she played basketball and tennis while earning a degree in psychology. She went on to receive a master's degree in sports administration from the University of North Carolina. It wasn't until she became men's and women's tennis coach at the University of South Carolina Upstate that she began her journey exploring and researching confidence. Not only did this lead her to discover how to maintain it for herself, but it led her to where she is today. Today, Tammy's goal is to help others on their confidence journey. When not working with others, Tammy remains physically active. She has completed a handful of marathons, including the Boston Marathon and Ultramarathons. Her longest race to date is a 40 miler. She is an avid cyclist, completing rides over 80 miles. Tammy continues to seek new mental and physical challenges. Connect with Tammy on Twitter at r2lcoaching for daily confidence tips. Follow the confident athlete on Twitter at Tammy Matheny. Visit her at www.r2lc.com. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Tammy Matheny of Refuse to Lose Coaching. Hi Tammy, thanks for joining me. I'm looking forward to it, Joe. Thank you for having me. Lovely. I'm now thinking I'll pronounce your name wrong after asking how it was. Matheny? That's right, Matheny. Is that right? Matheny, you've got it. You did well. <laughs> I have a few stories of that where I ask people, I double check, and then I get it completely wrong when I actually go for it because <laughs> I've obviously ticked that box now I've asked the question. So let <laughs> <laughs> me start by telling us who you are, what you do, and crucially, where you do it. 
I am in South Carolina, U.S., and I own a company, Refuse to Lose Coaching, as you mentioned. And the basis of the company is to work on the mental skills, building confidence, um, helping those overcome adversity, building teamwork, building leadership. Um, 90% of my business is with athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, uh, but I am starting to venture a little bit outside of that as well. But my whole goal is just to create positive, productive mindsets in the companies or teams that I work with. Lovely. And I, I sometimes get people who are coaches and, and they've come from a sort of sporting background, but they're now, you know, working in the corporate space. So it'll be interesting to to talk to you where you're sort of using your skills within the place where you develop them, I guess. I think you're probably going to tell us. So, <laughs> so yeah. you tell us. So tell us a bit more about how this all came about. Well, it's been a journey. Um, when I was in college, I did not think about coaching at all. Uh, my father had been a coach and he had told me never to go into coaching. So I, I was interviewed and um, after I played basketball and was interviewed in the paper after a game and they asked me what I was going to do. And I said, anything but coach. Um, well, you know, our journeys often lead to where we have no idea where they're leading, but I just kept an open mind and uh, ended up becoming the men and women's tennis coach at a university in the South. And that led to how could I better help my team? I knew as an athlete, I had success due to my mind and being mentally tough and trying to maintain some confidence. And so I thought there's got to be a way I can use that to these talented, physically talented athletes I had. So I just started researching and started meeting people. The sports psychology world was very in its infant stages at that time and just started learning and developing and growing. As a coach, I worked on the mental skills informally. And then I started thinking there's got to be, there could be a job for this and found a man that, that did a certification, Dr. Patrick Cohn, and he certified me. Um, he has a certification school and I became a mental game coach. So it was a long, uh, long, wonderful path that led to this. And I tell everybody that I have the best job in America. Um, I get to help people better themselves and look and find the positive um, during adverse situations. You know, COVID has challenged us all, but it's made us all step out of our comfort zone. And that's one of the biggest things that I challenge people. We develop confidence when we're willing to get out of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I, I've really had to live that during COVID. Mm -hmm. Before COVID, I, I think I had done maybe one podcast, uh, very few interviews online. And I have lost track of the podcast, webinars, Zooms that I have done since then. So, uh, you know, I, I've had to live my own words, Joe. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was talking to somebody the other day who said that there's a, a big corporate who've um, said that Zoom calls are banned on Fridays, which uh, I thought was a rather heavy handed way of, of um, encouraging people to do fewer Zoom calls. But uh, I could understand where <laughs> it would come from. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I jokingly say I have Zoom butt now, but <laughs> which is a sports coach is maybe not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> well, 
Although I suppose you're not the one that's actually supposed to be doing the exercise. It's the people you're coaching. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I do try to just for my mental state to get some exercise, but very true. <laughs> so how, how has COVID affected your sort of community in terms of, of sport? Because, you know, I'm thinking in the UK, we, uh, you know, we've, we seem to have had a, a massive growth in in cycling and running and um, many more people walking than than ever did because they could and they couldn't do much else sort of thing and you know the team sports my daughter plays netball um uh, you know hockey football whatever you know have spent a lot of the year not being able to to get together and you know at the elite levels they've been able to for for a good proportion of the time but you know grassroots sport hasn't really happened and I wonder how that's impacted the mental health of people who, you know, absolutely live for their sport. I mean, my husband's a sort of um, high level sailor um, or certainly was back in the day. He's a bit old now, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, he was absolutely traumatized. I mean, that's the, probably the most important thing in his life. And he couldn't, you know, get his head around not the, not being able to, to do some of that over the summer last year, particularly in you know the, the nice windy days. Um, how's it affected your your sporting community? Uh, very much the same way. I, I think you know I mentioned earlier before we were live that the U.S. is such a large country, and every state has operated like a different country and having their own rules and regulations. I think there's still places in California and New York that the team sports have not returned mm. uh, to normal. Um, in the South, it's pretty much opened up uh, a good bit since January, um, yeah. but, but they're limiting it um, to not traveling as much, not having athletes on the road. Um, so you, you do see a lot of changes. Um, and you're right, you know, your husband struggled with that. And the high school and college athletes I work with um, they've really lost their identity. And, and so I think that's been one of my challenges is try to fill in that role that they are more than an athlete. Mm -hmm. um, and I am big on why, why, what's your ultimate why? Why do you do what you do? And trying to get these athletes to realize if you're a high school student, maybe your why is to play in college. Well, this is one season of your life that you're losing. And so that ultimately, yes, will challenge your why, but your why is still alive. And trying to get them to see the bigger picture instead of just the short-term results, I think has been uh, what, what I have challenged myself to try to give my clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what does a, 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 I was gonna say, what does a usual day look like for you? Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> of the fact that it's not usual but you know what what normally how would you like well, to <laughs> well let's see now it involves uh putting on my sweatpants and a nice shirt <laughs> you know with the zooms you can't see the bottoms pajamas <laughs> on yeah yeah <laughs> and then uh sitting in front of the computer um past few months i uh, again i've been able to uh work in person with some teams um, you know, my, my parents asked me that last year before COVID struck, like, what does a normal day look like? And there isn't a normal day. And I think that's one of the things that uh, I really do love about my job. I, I can get very bored in the same routine. So some days I'm traveling um, to universities across the U.S. Some days I'm on the computer. Um, 
Some days I meet with individuals. Some days I just have computer days and trying to write, do some writing and stuff. So there really is not a typical day. Last night I worked, I got home, I think about 10.45 p.m. Um, today I have in the afternoon. So it's kind of a place. Yeah. And so is that sort of intentional to keep that variety going? And how do you then manage your time to make sure you get done what you need to get done? Because it can be tempting, I guess, to do the, the fun, exciting bits more. <laughs> yes. And that is probably my biggest weakness is trying to uh, stay on time management. Um, but it might be subconsciously intentional. But I think just the nature of sports where you have rainouts or bad weather or a coach calls up, well, we had you scheduled for this time, but we need to rearrange. Or you get that last minute call from an athlete. Hey, I need help. I've got a big game today. Um, so I, I think that lends itself to having to be flexible. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And in terms of sort of practical steps to, to, organize yourself to you how, how do you manage your tasks how do you manage you know the plan of what you need to get done i try to organize it by a priority what's what's first things first that's a saying i say a lot to my brain first things first what is needed first today mm -hmm. and then I, I have a get to list instead of a to-do list but a get to list right and just try to to knock that off throughout the day um, if I don't write it down, I'm proud it. And I'm, I'm still old school and I have a paper calendar instead of having everything, you know, on my phone or on my computer calendar wise. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when I write that down, that that helps me remember it. And then I have that visual to look back on as well. It's funny you say old school. Probably 95% of my guests actually use pen and paper for their to-do list. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure where my fellow new people are because uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, if I write it down, I'll remember it. If I type it, I don't. And the same thing with reading. I struggle to read online. I, I If there's an article, I'll usually like print it out. And so I have a hard copy to read. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah, I don't do that either. <laughs> but, but, but I did buy an iPad Pro, which is the sort of A4 size, so that I could read on that. I don't read on my computer either. As you say, I don't really like reading on there, but uh, I did I did find some technology that helped instead. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I, I, I probably need to get out of my comfort zone and try it, but I'm still wanting pen and paper. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you... Tell me what you called your to-do list again. Get to, your get to list. Yes, do you do you have a sort of to not do list? Some people sort of utilize that so they don't get distracted by stuff that is, isn't important, but they think it is or whatever. No, I don't. I have heard of that before, mm. but um, I, I try to preach. So I guess it would go against what I preach. And I try to make sure with my self-talk that Everything is what I do want to do versus not. Because often our brain struggles with that distinction. 
okay, I don't need to waste time on social media today. Well, I'm going to waste time on social media today if I do that. So I, I, we're all different. So I'm not saying people should necessarily, you know, follow that. But I know my brain, if I say not, then I tend to do it. So I would rather tell myself what I'm going to do versus not to do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that. So as I said, I've had people on here who taken this sort of sports coaching psychology stuff into the business world I, i'm not sure if i've had a sports coach who's still you know within that space if you like um tell us sort of some of the themes that that you work with with your your clients on um as you say sports psychology is still sort of fairly new but it is something that gets talked about quite a lot in business <laughs> terms isn't it and i had somebody on the show a few weeks ago who was talking in fact it might have even no actually not in a few weeks ago I've just been looking bearing in mind we're interviewing ahead <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think actually by the time this is published it's last week's interview um Dave Rawls talking about using the um uh oh I forgot what I was gonna say the sports psychology no not using sports psychology I think in terms of um how he's working, but he has got a very big sports background. I can't even remember um, the point now, but his, his what he's saying will have been different to what you're saying. So it's quite interesting, a contrast over the two weeks, even though I can't remember what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a few weeks ago. But yeah, so what are the sort of the recurring themes? What are the, the key areas that you work with people in terms of their sort of mindset for that confidence you've talked about? Well, I think number one it is to me, successful teams or companies are relationship-based. When you recognize you're all in it together and you're working for a common goal. So spending a lot of time on how do you develop relationships by communicating? You know, and we communicate so we can connect. And when we feel connected and know each other, then we're gonna give a little bit more to that person and to the company or to our teammates. Uh, so that's one of the uh, important keys. Um, in my last book, This Is Good, I, I base it around this formula for success that I came up with. And this is for teams or companies, in my opinion. But success is unity plus positive emotions. And if we're unified in what we're doing and we have positive emotions, then we're going to have some type of success. So the second one is building that positive mindset and embracing adversity or challenges that come our way instead of getting negative and shutting down. You know, and COVID has really challenged that. I feel like we're constantly coming back to COVID, but, you know, during times like COVID, if you look back in our past history, that was when corporations made the biggest breakthroughs or biggest inventions. Because when you have adversity, that's the time for someone to step up. And I think it really, separates the successful people from the less successful people. Um, so definitely developing a positive mindset is the second thing, which to me helped, it means teaching people how to own their confidence instead of letting it be what I call a roller coaster confidence. Oh, I had a good sale. I'm confident. Oh, I didn't do well. So I go down on that roller coaster. Um, and then the next part to that is helping them learn how to focus their brains 
and shift the focus when it's not on something that's going to help them be successful. Because mm. you talked about one of the challenges for the sports people in the last year has been the thing that they identify with, the thing that they they are as sort of college sports people or, or whatever hasn't been an option. And um, and I think that's true sort of in corporate situations and, and in people who run their own businesses as well. I mean, I remember when I started my own business, I was a publisher to begin with, and I, I had come from being a director of HR. And I, I remember, I actually can still remember that first networking event I went to where I actually said I was a publisher. And I'd been to many networking events whilst I was still doing my HR job. And I'd sort of fudged the discussion, talked about the fact that I was starting a business and, you know, that I was still working and everything else. But there was a, a moment where I was no longer a director of HR and I couldn't hide behind that identity. And I had to sort of take on this new one. And it was a really hard sort of moment, which is why obviously 15 years later, I still remember it. And and sports people are known for being that person, aren't they? It, you know, yes. They grow older and they they do it more um, as a hobby than than you know the be all and end all. It's still it's something they that they identify with. How how do you help people to I don't know sort of was it internalize it so it becomes something that they're confident about without needing to be that that person if you see what I mean. <laughs> how do they take the best bits of being a sports person and not actually then you know, lose the confidence and the, the positivity because then, I don't know, injured or they're not doing the sport because of COVID or because they're too old or I don't know, whatever it might be. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think you just mentioned the key word and that's internalize. And too often we base our ego, our, our identity on the external stuff, our titles or what other people say about us. And it's learning to flip that. And confidence at the at the root level is knowing yourself and liking yourself. And so one of the things that I have athletes and non-athletes that I work with is to really list all of their characteristics and strengths that they give to this world. And we're also unique. And when we can focus on our uniqueness compared to who society says we are or compared to another person, then we start to own that confidence. So we're having to look inside ourselves, getting to really know ourselves and then recognizing our job or our title within a family is just a portion of us. Maybe it's a strong portion, but it's just a portion. And we all have so many different roles and trying to recognize that and embrace it and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a really interesting book at the moment, actually, called, and I can't get it right every time I say it, I think it's Happy Sexy Millionaire, I think is the book. Um, an absolute recommend. Uh, Stephen Bartlett uh, wrote it. He's um, he's recently left an organization where he took it to IPO and he's, you know, multimillionaire and all this sort of stuff. But he came from sort of nothing he had, you know, he was homeless, he was scrabbling for food and things like that, started a business. And in the end, you know, it's all all turned out well. Um, but a big theme of, of his book was about that whole self-awareness piece and how without that, you're almost sort of living a, a story that 
isn't true or or a story that you're telling yourself that may or may not be true and and so a big part of what he's talking about in the book which i have particularly enjoyed reading about is that whole piece as you were just saying about being aware mm -hmm. yeah and, and you know when we make it about the external we become very fragile because it's only based on again our title or what we've done lately or what yes. someone says about us yes yes yeah and you, to be robust you have to see that as sort of i suppose an add-on and an extra a, a, you know if it's positive or negative you know fine but it's outside of who you really are and that i guess that's the key isn't it yes yes it is and you know i think it's for that person in a, in a job that gets fired or an athlete that's lost their season of flipping their focus to, to, okay, how do you use this to better yourself in life? And life is so much more than about a job or about your sport. Mm -hmm. And often when you can shift that focus, you're going to, like you said, be robust and probably have more success, different than maybe what you had planned, but more success overall, you know, for your life. Yes, yeah. It's interesting. I had a, a walk with a friend this morning who starts a new job tomorrow and she um, came into that situation through a, a not a particularly nice finish with her previous employer. And uh, she was saying, you know, she's had the, the time during the last few months to really look after herself and think about what she wants and how she's going to sort of work moving forwards and everything else and, and how she's not going to go back into the same groove that she was in with her previous employer with the new one, you know, she's not going to work ridiculous hours. She's going to still prioritize self-care and all that sort of stuff. And we were laughing saying, you know, if I was an employer, I wouldn't employ anyone who'd abruptly left their last job. Cause I, I guess you don't always uh, entirely reveal <laughs> the circumstances, but you know, I was laughing saying, I don't think I'd ever employ somebody who's, you know, left somewhere under a bit of a cloud and had time to think about their life and how they're going to live it moving forwards because you know, they won't be that committed employee that you think you're getting. They've created now that they're uh, focused on. I, you know, I was saying I am um, way back in my career, I, I left an organization um, on not particularly good terms and I decided to work as an interim um, ever after um, because I didn't want to be you know, beholden to other people. And if I got into a situation I didn't enjoy that I could easily move on and so on. So it's interesting how, you know, you have these experiences and then you take stock and you become aware and you decide, you know, what you're prepared to accept and what you're not prepared to accept. And, and you know, that, that makes a big difference to how you move forward. Yes, definitely. And, and you know, I, I think we need to be there to learn that. I myself had a job that was ended a lot earlier than I wanted it to be ended. And I threw a pity party for a couple of months. Yeah. And then I kind of got over myself and recognized now I could do what I really wanted to do. I wasn't that happy in the job. Mm -hmm. And so it turned out to be the best thing professionally that ever happened to me yes. once I could allow myself to recognize that and move forward. Yes, yeah. I think there's many people who, who say that. It's certainly what I said about my situation as well. She said, you know, people who get made redundant and all that sort of stuff you know they say in the end it was the best thing that ever happened yeah and it doesn't but you know again that's where your mindset set shift has to happen mm. um one of my favorite sayings this is good and it's taken from an african folktale 
But the whole idea is nothing's bad or good till we decide it is. And when something doesn't work out for you, too often we just respond to the immediate result instead yeah. of trying to keep our brains open to be alive, to welcome something different that, again, could lead to something better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of my biggest themes is, OK, this is good. And when something negative happens, I instantly say that saying to myself and then just try to keep myself positive or productive thoughts to allow something better to come in. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And no, I love that. I, uh, one of my students is writing a program at the moment and he uh, used the parable, um, which is a bit like that, where and I can't remember the scenarios, but something like, I don't know, um, somebody's horse escapes and the neighbors say, that's terrible. And he says, could be, you know, maybe, maybe not. And then something else happens that only, I don't know, the barn burns down and because the horse had escaped, it didn't die. And the neighbors go, that was good. And he goes, maybe, maybe not. And then something else happens and it goes on and on. And it's exactly that concept, which is, you know, things happen. It's what you then do in that moment that determines, you know, good or bad. And actually sometimes even what looks bad to begin with turns out to be good in the end, depending on, you know, how the story sort of flows. Yes, definitely. That's, uh, again, the basis of about everything I try to, you know, help my clients with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so how, how do, how do you do that? You know, how do you enable people to reflect on things that maybe they think are like the worst thing in the world, something terrible that's, that's happened and actually turn that into something that makes them stronger or is more positive? Well, I, well, I tell them the folktale. And uh, if we have time, I'll, I'll share that. But um, I tell them the folktale because usually I, I remember in growing up in church or in class, if someone told a story, I remember the message. If they just preached at me or lectured to me, I forgot the message. So my technique is I try to use a lot of stories. So I'll tell that story. And then, OK, what is something negative that happened and how can you turn it? turn it into a this is good moment and then listing all of the reasons this could be good so for example an injury okay what is good about an injury you know the immediate reaction is oh no i can't play my sport right now yeah but if you think about it what how can you use this time to better something else you know how do you use this time maybe you needed a break mentally and physically um you can work on being a better teammate and showing your worth is more than just, you know, the physical part. So really having them come up, they come up with it, not me, their list of what is good about whatever the situation is. And then I start off every session. Okay, give me three to five examples. I, I just change it up of events that happen that you turn into a this is good situation. So it's getting them to be aware. Because, again, I think our brains just get in a habit of responding in a certain way. So we have to just rewire it to start seeing what is the positive that could happen from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd love it if you did share that. We've definitely got time. Okay. Um, well, there, again, this is a from, taken from an African folktale. And there was a king in Africa and he had his best friend that he kept on the court with him. Because the best friend was great at 
always reminding him that things were good. It could be the worst day in the world. And he would say, no, this is good. And so he really helped the king have a positive mindset. Well, one day they go out hunting and the best friend loads the king's rifle for him. Well, it backfires and blows the king's thumb off. So the king is irate and he throws his best friend into jail. All the way to jail, the best friend was like, this is good. This is good. He's in jail. The other guys in the jail were like, you're an idiot, man. This isn't good. Your best friend just threw you in jail. Nope, this is good. And he's in jail for a year and a half. And in the meantime, the king went on another hunting party. And his hunting party was captured by a band of cannibals. And the cannibals were going to kill them and eat them one by one. But they were very superstitious. And when they got to the king, they recognized and saw that he didn't have a thumb. And they didn't believe in killing or eating anything that wasn't whole. So they let him go. And he was like, oh, my gosh, my oh, my gosh, my best friend just saved my life. And he runs back to the prison and he gets down on his knees and he says, please, please, please forgive me. The best friend, of course, says this is good. And the king says, yes, I know it was good for me. You saved my life, but I have wasted a year and a half of your life. And the best friends know for you see, if I had not been in jail, I could have been with you and killed and eaten. And so just that when I read that story, I don't know, about 10, 12 years ago, it just resonated with me. Yeah. You know, hopefully that's dramatic than what we have to deal with every day. But, yeah, would you rather lose your life or spend a year and a half in jail? You know, I'm settling yeah. on jail, right? <laughs> um, but just if we can take that into everyday scenarios, then how much happier, more successful, more confident we're going to be. Mm, absolutely yeah and no, i love that yeah it's 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 a it's a similar story to, to the one that i badly was telling earlier <laughs> <laughs> i have to look that one up i'm always in the search for new stories anyone anyone who listens to the podcast regularly will know i never remember quotes properly and i never remember stories properly i i i know the feeling of it and obviously today i've, I've done a, a public first and completely forgotten the point i was making about a previous interview as well but apart from that <laughs> This is good. Somehow this is good. <laughs> exactly. This is good. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, we said, you know, we keep sort of referring back to, to COVID, but, you know, that last year, it, it, there's been so much of that for, for many people. You know, there's there's been some sort of, you know, terrible stuff, some not so great stuff. Um, but I always think that, you know, there's, there's upsides to most things. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm thinking about our own scenario you know, I spent much more time with my 14 year old daughter, which has actually been a good thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, we've, um, I don't know, decluttered the house. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that um, you know, I've, I've reorganized my office, so it's all nice and cozy. And, uh, you know, certain things wouldn't have happened, but for the fact that I had more time and, you know, nothing else to do sort of thing. So <laughs> it's, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, I, I have to practice it every day as well, Joe. I, I don't want anyone to think that I have it all together all the time. But, you know, my why, I mentioned why earlier, but my why, why I do what I do is to make a difference in as many people's lives as possible. And especially to help them get off of that confidence roller coaster. Well, with COVID, I saw it initially as my why was being taken away from me. I couldn't meet with teams anymore. 
And then again, a friend challenged me. He was like, well, you said your wine was to reach as many people as possible. COVID's going to give you that opportunity with how the Zooms and podcasts and interviews were booming. Yeah. And I was like, he's right. You know, and I had started to worry about my paycheck. Like if I don't meet with, but my why isn't my paycheck. Yes, I got to get paid to pay the bills. But that was, that's not why I do my job. But I had shifted the focusing on that and I became miserable. And once I could change my focus of, yeah, I get to meet so many people and it's been amazing for my job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've had to apply this too. And I, I think it's good that I talk about it because it keeps it on the forefront of my brain. Yes. Yes. So what about um, sort of learning and improving yourself? Um, you know, you're, you're helping other people to, to do that and um, self-reflecting as well, as you've just said, have you got some sort of practical things that you do, tips that you might have for, for, for learning and improving as you go through? Um, this isn't as much as learning, but as improving. I, I have several routines that I do that really can wreck my day if I don't do them as, and as simple as they are. But I like to spend my first few minutes in the morning and I say my why in the mirror. And there's some kind of strength when you look yourself in the eyes in a mirror and tell your why. And the days I miss that, it's amazing how bad the day can go. But I'm setting the tone right there to remember my why. Because, you know, I can get tired or exhausted. Oh, I don't want to have to meet with this client today. But then I remember my why and I see it now. No, this is another opportunity to make a difference. Uh So doing that first thing in the morning and then I spend a few minutes just visualizing how I want the day to go um, and seeing things that could come up like schedules being changed at the last moment and just seeing myself being flexible and responding in a healthy way to that. Um, at the end of the day, I, I like to finish with who did I make a difference with today? And then all the things that I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are kind of routines I do to help keep me on track. And as far as learning, I, I do enjoy reading. Um, for some reason during COVID, though, I haven't read as much. I think I've been writing more and I stopped reading because of that. It, that doesn't make sense. But um, I do enjoy reading. Um, but more importantly, I think it's conversations. And I, I've never really appreciated conversations until, I, I don't know, a few years ago, but especially with COVID. And just talking to people and having the mindset, what can I learn from them? And, and I think I used to, at a younger age, have too big of an ego and wanted to just talk and I didn't listen to others. But now it's, hey, wh- what can I learn from them? Mm. And trying to remember that and apply it. And uh, so that's probably the biggest thing I'm doing for learning. Um, the next thing would be the self-reflection. When I, when a client tells me something that happened or something happened with the team, my first thought is, well, how would I have responded initially? And then trying to plan ahead. If that were to happen to me, what is going to be my response? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. So last couple of questions. What about those days where it all goes horribly wrong? How do you deal with those days? You know, I've, uh, this is funny kind of, but I I try to embrace them (laughs) because Every day is not going to be good. And I'm learning to be more gentle with myself. 
um, I used to get really mad of, oh my gosh, you were so unproductive today, Tammy. And then that led to another unproductive day. Um, but, you know, those days that I do have a rough time, I, I try to think if, if there's nothing pressing that has to be done, I try to give myself that day and, and try to do something that nurtures me mentally or physically, going for a long hike or taking a bubble bath or just, okay. The brain's not on today. I'm going to let myself watch a movie tonight. You know, so trying to just embrace that time and then so I can come back tomorrow, you know, more productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. And the last question, uh, which is about those days where you get to live more, and that's what I define as getting to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do. What do those days look like for you? Uh, those days are I am completely engaged with the teams I work with. Um, like yesterday was a great day for me. I was able to engage with several individual clients. Um, I was able to engage with my parents. Uh, they're visiting from Florida. Um, I had some really kind of phone calls that were really engaging and stimulating. And then I got to finish off the day working with a team, so a softball team, and they hired me to be on the bench to keep all the athletes positive and productive and keeping them mentally and physically ready. And it was probably the, the most dramatic sporting event I've been at with parents getting thrown out and just so much adversity. It was almost comical. Yeah. Um, and it was it last it was dragged on forever, but I really enjoyed every moment because it was, you know, it was fun to see. It was a competitive game, which you know that still gets my juices going. The competitiveness and seeing these young ladies like they didn't respond negatively to any of the craziness that was happening around them, and the other team is responding so dramatically to every bad call or every bad situation that happened yeah and it was just a proud moment you know and this is high school and i'm thinking in the grand scheme of things this isn't like it's professional but i think that's what makes it even what made it even better for me it's these young kids are are, are learning yeah. and they're, they're seeing how they respond to things that happen you know help them have success and they ended up winning by one in the very last inning so it was that was even more rewarding because i like to win <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Give me some flashbacks to my late father-in-law by the, the the sort of getting the parents sent out and things like that. Uh, he, <laughs> he was very competitive and used to get a bit carried away <laughs> with his opinion. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, pa parents seem to be getting worse and worse. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, lovely. So thank you, Tommy. It's been great uh, talking to you today. Tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch. Okay. I have a website r2lc.com and it has a, several blogs. Um, I also put out a monthly confidence calendar. I should have mentioned that as a way I better myself. I, people thank me for putting it out, but it really selfishly, it helps me. Uh, but every day is just a tidbit that if you do say or put into effect, then it's going to help you build confidence because confidence is based on what we do say and think every day. So if you want the uh, confidence calendar, you can find it on my website, or if you want to email me at Tammy, T-A-M-I, at 
Tech2LC.com. Uh, I can send that to you as well. And if you have any questions, please reach me there. Um, I'm on Twitter at Tammy Matheny, as well as another handle at R2L Coaching. Brilliant. Thanks, Tammy. Thanks for your time today. All right. Thank you, Joe. I've enjoyed it. Stop feeling stuck and overwhelmed. Join Power to Live More Calm membership today and make an investment in your future. The Power to Live More Calm membership is designed for coaches and consultants struggling with the pressures of running a home-based business. You get access to our supportive community, including weekly Zoom calls, accountability, learning materials teaching you online marketing, audience building, income generation, and all sorts of other things you need to run your home-based business with ease, along with materials like templates, checklists, and planners to keep you motivated, organised, and productive. To learn more about the Power to Live More Calm membership program and apply, visit powertolivemore.com slash get calm. Use your power to live more.